Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, today we're kicking off a brand new series called Unleash Faith, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But have you ever seen this commercial? It's a, it's a commercial about Chantix. Chantix is like a, a medication that one takes to, to stop smoking, I guess. And, um, and this commercial is about a turkey. Have you seen the turkey commercial of Chantix? You can raise your hand if you haven't, okay. Um, so basically, it's a turkey kind of wanders around, does all kinds of household duties and chores and cooks himself food and stumbles around because the turkey can't, doesn't have really good hands to do anything with, you know. And, um, and, then, and then as the commercial moves along, it kind of catches your attention. He's like, what is this tur- what's this commercial about? And then it goes towards the end of the commercial and it gives you this, this disclaimer, right? Like this is, this is the disclaimer I kind of wrote it down. I don't think I got every single word down, but I got most of it down of if you take Chantix, right? It says, if you experience, okay, if you take Chantix, if you experience symptoms of agitation, hostility, depression, or changes in behavior, thinking, or moods that are not typical for you, or you develop suicidal thoughts or actions, anxiety, panic, aggression, anger, mania, abnormal sensations, hallucinations, paranoia, or confusion, stop taking Chantix. If I were a smoker, I think I would take my chances with smoking and not take Chantix. <laughs> if these things could possibly happen, right? Because, uh, yeah, I mean, we understand they have to kind of give us that information, you know, the possibilities of what might happen if you take some medication. Um, we're kicking off this series, Unleashed Faith, and I feel like I have to give a little bit of a disclaimer. And um, I, I struggled the first service. Because there's a lot in here that I want to talk about, and, and I feel like I owe it to you to be organized in my thoughts and communicate appropriately, but, but there's a lot here. And I just want to challenge you, and, here, and as we talk about unleash faith, here's the disclaimer. It may be uncomfortable. You, over these next five weeks, may feel called or challenged to step out of some comfort zones and start risking more for God. To stop living status quo and start living all in for Jesus Christ. That, that's going to happen potentially. And I hope it does. Because we need, there's, there's a God that's like we said earlier, he's always moving. We just sometimes don't realize what he's doing. But we need to be aware of what he's doing. And we need to say, God, I'm in line with what you want to do. I don't want to just do my own thing. God, I want to be where you are. And this is what we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks. And so I just want to challenge all of us to be but to be alerted to this. You know, the Bible says some pretty crazy things. Like it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's like an all or nothing kind of statement. Like you have to be all in for God. And it strikes at the heart of what it means to be a disciple, a disciple of Jesus Christ, is one who, who is saying, God, I just want to live for you. I want to have this kind of faith. A disciple does not have a tame or reserved or, or predictable kind of faith. The disciples all in for Christ. And so we're going to talk today a little bit about what is faith. And I think oftentimes when we talk about faith, uh, we use the word, my faith. We say my faith, my faith, my faith. And we, typically what we mean by that is a set of doctrinal beliefs that we embrace. Like these are the things that we believe. And so that's my faith. 
right? Now, I may not go to church regularly. I might not even tithe, but I embrace these big ideas about God and who he is, you know? And make no mistake about it, part of our faith is an embracing of who God is and the things that he's done, the miracles that he's performed, right? But faith oftentimes is much more than that. In fact, the famous faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 kind of defines faith, and this is what it says about faith. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now faith is confidence. It's confidence. The word here, hypostasis, is a word that it, it, it indicates concreteness, solidness, firmness, the foundation. So it's confidence in what we hope for. So God comes in and he gives you a hope, and then your faith is the confidence that that is actually going to happen. That as you start hoping, say, for your marriage, you start hoping for your children, you start hoping for your future, that there's this faith is the confidence that that's going to happen. And the assurance or evidence, proof, about what we do not see, this is what the ancients were commended for. And so the Hebrew writer, as he starts defining faith, one of the things he talks about, he talks about vision, about seeing, how we see, Right? Now, the problem with sight and vision and that kind of stuff is that we, we see things oftentimes differently than other people see things, right? Like if I show you a picture of this, uh, this is a Triumph uh, vintage bobber. It's a bobber. It's a type of motorcycle. Yeah, I heard someone go, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I start drooling at this thing. I'm like, yeah, this needs to be in my garage, <laughs> you know, because it's cool. Now, it probably doesn't run that great. And it's probably really rough on the road, and you have to kick it to start. I mean, it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a serious motorcycle. But if my wife saw this, she'd probably be like, that's kind of ugly. And it's loud. And the reason why is because we see things from different perspectives, right? Oftentimes when we see something, we see it from the, the experience of our, of our life. You know, our, pers- our, type of, our life experiences, the good and the bad, that's how we see the world. We see our circumstances that way. We see the world that way. We see our church that way. We see other people that way. Oftentimes it's filtered through our own experiences in life. And so I think what the author here is trying to get to is that we need to get to a place where we see the way God sees. In fact, what a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ looks like is a person that when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they give their life to Christ, and they start following him. This journey of following, walking in the Spirit, this journey of walking in the Spirit is more and more I'm letting go of seeing the way I see things and embracing more and more the way God sees things. And that, essentially, is faith, is seeing the way God sees. So... Faith is seen the way God sees. Today what I want to do is I want to contrast or put in tension faith, the word faith, which we're going to be talking about today. And I'm going to speed through this, so you're going to have to forgive me on that part. But, and I want to put it in tension with another F word, not the word you're thinking of, but another F word, um, word fear. Fear. Faith and fear, oftentimes they're, they're opposing each other. And the question I want to ask you is, are you looking at your circumstances Are you looking at life? Are you looking at your job? Are you looking at your children? Are you looking at your financial world? Are you looking at any aspect of your life? Are you looking at your future through eyes of faith or through eyes of fear? It's a good question to ask ourselves. In fact, you could probably, I'm sure you're sitting there right now, you're just kind of pondering these ideas. Am I? 
these decisions that I need to make? Am I looking through the eyes of faith or am I looking through the eyes of fear? We're going to look at a passage in Numbers, um, in, the, in, in the book of Numbers, that illustrates this idea. It's the story of the children of Israel who, they, you know, they had escaped Egypt. Um, they, um, the, Moses, you know the whole story of Moses, you know, the massive huge number of people escaping Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea unharmed, and then Pharaoh's armies, you know, they, they all get destroyed in the Red Sea, and, and they make it across the Red Sea. And then about two years later, they come to the very edge of what was the promised land, the land that God had promised them. And they get to the very edge of the promised land. There's a place called Kadesh Barnea. When they get to Cadiz Barnea, Moses, who's the leader at this time, he decides to organize a, a scouting team. And so he puts together 12 spies that are going to go into the promised land. And they're basically, it's a vision team. It's a way, it's them saying, go and see what's over there and then come back and report back to us. Is this really what God has promised? Let us know. And so they go in and, and you know the story to some extent. Uh, there's 12 spies, 10 of them come back and they're, and, and, and they, they find what they were looking for, but they come back with a negative report. They come back feeling like it's not possible for us to actually take this promised land. And then there's two that come back with a positive report. Let me, let me ask you if, if you've ever heard these names or if any of you in this room are, have this name. This might be your name. Or, or maybe you've named your children this, okay? Shamua. How many Shamuas in this room? No? Okay. Um, Shaphat. Egal, Palti, Gadiel, no Gadiels in this room, no children named Gadiel. It'd be, it'd be terrible if you actually raised your hand. You just totally ruined my point. <laughs> All right. Gadai, Amiel, Sether, Nabi, Gul. You probably never heard these names. That's because these were the 10 spies who went in and came back and gave a negative report. You see, the truth is, that, and we, we do this in everyday life, the truth is nobody really likes a naysayer. Nobody really likes hanging out with somebody who's just constantly talking negatively, negatively. Nobody likes people who say, you come up, you ever been there in that situation where you come, hey, I've got this idea, I'm going to do this, and then somebody comes and says, nah, you can't do that. You just don't want to talk to that person, right? But I bet, how many Joshua's in this room? Okay. How many, how many have kids named Joshua? I'm raising my hand because I have a son named Joshua. We have kids named Joshua. Caleb. Any Caleb's in this room? Yep. And kids named Caleb. You know why? You know why? Because those are the two that came back with a positive report. And they are remembered in history. They had faith. They saw the way God sees. The thing is that fear, though, on the other hand, is a very powerful force. You start speaking negatively, and it starts catching on. Before long, you, you, we've, we've experienced, experienced that culturally, actually. And so in this case, the, these 10 spies, they come back and say, it's, it can't be done. And so they wander the desert for 38 years, and then finally they get, you know, after 38 years, that's when they finally go to the promised land. But they miss the opportunity at that very moment to actually possess the promised land. So what does it look like when you start seeing through eyes of fear? What does it look like when you start determining paths and decisions for your family and decisions for your financial world based out of fear? Well, the first thing that happens is that fear makes, 
makes us exaggerate our, our difficulties or our problems, right? What's crazy about these children of Israel is that they had been set free from the most powerful nation on earth at that time, Egypt. They had seen miracles. God had performed miracles on their behalf. They were all, every single one of the millions of people that were there, every single one of them were very much aware of the power of God on their behalf. And yet here they find themselves just about to enter into the promised land, and they're terrified of these scattered Palestinian uh, tribes out there. They were cowering in fear. You see, if you look at your problems through eyes of fear, your problems will always seem bigger than what they really are. In in Numbers 13, in verse 27, it says, We went into the land. This is the the spies coming back and giving the report. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does. Okay, they, they affirm the fact that this is the promised land. It does flow with milk and honey. I don't exactly know what that means. I should have researched, but it does flow with milk and honey, right? Just look at this fruit. And they have this, you know, evidence that the land is amazing, right? He goes on. The only thing, the only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. They're fierce. Their cities are huge and they're well fortified. And when we got there, we saw descendants of the giant Anak. Go back to Genesis and Nephilim. These were the descendants of the Nephilim. See, this was a vision problem. They were seeing through eyes of fear. All they could see was how big their problems were. Listen, negativity... Negative attitudes are very contagious. I mean, we're experiencing it in our culture right now. There's overwhelming levels of fear and paranoia and distrust in our culture right now. And so much of this is being fed day in and day out by a constant bombardment from our news, news media of just negative, negative news, negative news, negative news, negative news, negative news. You know, the irony of the, about this is that 38 years later, when they finally possessed the promised land, it, the, 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 the people living there confessed that, that they were terrified of the people of Israel. That they were ready to surrender. And yet, because of fear, they, they missed the opportunity to possess the promised land. Fear paralyzes you. Fear also makes us underestimate our abilities. In Numbers 13.33, it says, We saw giants there. The descendants of Anak, like I said, these are, if you go back to Genesis, you'll read about the Nephilim, these giants. Um, the descendants of Anak, next to them we felt like grasshoppers. Okay, so we see these giants and then this is how we feel. We feel like grasshoppers. And, they, and, what they thought, and, they, and that's what they thought too. So we feel like grasshoppers and we know what they're thinking. They're thinking that we are grasshoppers. Like we're just bugs to them and we're about to be squashed by them. Talk about low self-esteem. And it's fear vision. Because that's not what God says about you or me. And yet that's what they interpreted. That's how they, they were. See, what you see here, they were free. They had been freed from Israel, but they weren't free in their mind yet. They were still victims. They were still, they were still helpless. And maybe there's some of you in this place right now that that's what you feel. You might feel like you're in a place right now. Yes, you're, you're saved. Yes, you've given your life to Jesus. But you, you, the voices of the past are still dominating you. And all you hear is, you know, you're stupid. You're a failure. You're a loser. You're ugly. You're fat. And those people aren't even around anymore. 
And yet, that's what's dominating your mind. Jesus came not just to set us free from physical pain and addiction and all that, but he's come to give us a new identity. These children of Israel were free from slavery in Egypt, but they weren't identifying as the children of God. And too often as Christians, we can walk around, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but we are, our identity is not solid in God. We fear so much. So your identity isn't what your parents told you, said to you. Your identity is not what that bully kept harassing you with in high school or junior high. Your identity is not even the stuff that you've convinced yourself of because of your past sin. Your identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. And you know what Christ says about you? You're my masterpiece. Oh, yeah, you've, you've failed. You've done a lot of stupid things in your life. But you, when you give your life over to him, you are his masterpiece. And he has a plan for your life. He has purposes for your life. That's your identity. Fear also brings discouragement. Numbers 14 says, then all the people began weeping aloud and they carried on all night long. <laughs> it was like this giant pity party. They hadn't even possessed the promised land yet. They weren't even there yet and they were already upset about it. Fear also results in giving up and blaming God. Look at this in verse 3 of, of Numbers, uh, Numbers 14. It says, why, and so, so they, they're having this pity party, they're upset, and then here's the question asked. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed with swords. God, why are you doing this to me? You know how many times I've heard that in the last several years? Why is God letting this happen? Why does God do that? And they go on to say, we'd be, we'd, be, we'd be better off going back to Egypt. Really? Like where you were slaves? <laughs> Where you were given less food, you were beaten, your kids were being killed, that's better? What makes them, what makes, a per, what makes people do this? Say this. Fear. That's right. Their perspective gets a little bit distorted. Fear, fear causes us to distort our perspective a bit. And we start looking at our, at our past as, as if, oh, that's better than what I'm going through right now. And then we kind of glamorize the past a little bit like, you know, like they were. We were better off back in Egypt. <clears throat> I think what happens here is that we, we, it, our past sounds better because it's predictable. It's familiar. Like even though this sin in my life was bringing some disruption in my family, at least I know it. I can identify it. I see it. That's better than letting go of it, risking the future. We end up still being slaves in our own minds, right? Often it's the case that we choose slavery over faith just simply because it's familiar. So what happens when we start seeing through eyes of faith? I'm going to try to move along here quickly. Faith, first of all, shrinks my problems. Where fear causes me to make my problems bigger than what they really are, faith actually causes, me, causes my problems to shrink. I used to say something when I was a, a younger preacher, and uh, I would preach, you know, this 30-something years ago, and I would preach, uh, like, um, 
out of different passages of the Bible, but I, was, I just didn't have a whole lot of content, right? So, I mean, there was plenty of content in the Bible, but I just didn't know how to put it all together. So I would preach out of different parts of the Bible and always land with like the same message. Like you could always, you were always going to get saved and be a missionary if you went to, you know, Primera Asamblea de Dios where I was pastoring. And, uh, you know, no matter what I preached out of, that's what, was, that's what you were going to hear, right? But there's a statement I always used to say, and I would say, me plus God, and I stopped saying it because it sounded cheesy for a while, after a while, but I would say, me plus God equals a majority. And it was a way to try to encourage people to have faith in God, to trust God for, for big things, but I would say, me plus God equals a majority. And the formula there is basically me. I am nothing. I, have, don't, I don't have power to change the world. I don't have power to do anything in myself, but me plus God, we are really a majority. You see, when you have faith, you see from a completely new perspective. And when God is on your side, you see that those mountains that you're facing are really just molehills. They're manageable. I have experience with this. I remember 17 years ago when we first started uh, Life Church, <clears throat> we were meeting at the Corville Rec Center in, here in Corville. And, uh, and we had negotiated $500 a month rent. And I remember signing that, 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 you know, that contract with him, $500 a month rent. I'm like, oh, Lord, that's a lot of money. We've got to pay this. We've got to be able to make this. You know, we, we, we didn't have any congregation, though, at that time. So that, that made sense. You know, it felt like, Christy and I felt like, well, it's just going to come out of our pocket, I guess, because we're the only ones here tithing <laughs> at this point. But um, uh, so we, we, and I remember just being concerned about being able to make a $500 a month um, rent commitment. But then I'd go into my basement and i start crying out to God and I remember God just saying, I've got this. And this formula, me plus God equals a majority, would just go into play, right? So we trusted God and there was this amazing cycle that would happen. We trust he would provide. 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 And it started to happen. I remember six years ago when we uh, decided to rent this facility that we're in right now. And it was going to take million plus dollars to remodel it and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to get into this building. And I remember the board sitting down and discussing this, this idea. And I mean, it was a huge step of faith. Now, and I mean, and I still, and my, I would go through these mental gyrations. It wasn't $500 a month anymore. Now it was a few extra zeros, you know, like we, there was a lot at stake and it was scary and it was risky, but I would get back down in my basement and I'd cry out to God and I would feel that me plus God are the majority. You trust God. It's this beautiful cycle of faith that happens. What I love about faith is that when you begin to see as God sees, the worry goes away. And some of you need to hear this because you came here this morning and you are plagued with worry. Maybe it's over the economics, the current economic situation that we're in. Maybe you're worrying about your children or you're worrying about your, 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 your career. I don't know. I don't know what it might be, but you're just plagued with worry right now. And God wants to speak to you and he wants to challenge you to step out of that cycle of fear and step into a, a seeing with eyes of faith. <clears throat> faith also is the fertile soil for a miracle. Faith also is a fertile soil for a miracle. Is there a miracle you need in your life? Yes? Amen. 
I think most of us would say, yes, there's some miracles we need in our lives. We need God to move, right? Maybe it's a son or a daughter that's straight away and you're just, you're not sure where they are. You're not sure what they're doing. Maybe it's your financial situation. Maybe it's a sickness that you have right now. Maybe you are a, a student, grad student, and you're just like, you're, you're facing this monumental task of getting your work done. And you feel like you need a miracle. You need to know that God still performs miracles. I love, I love how Jesus talks about faith here in Mark chapter 11. He says, then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. Okay, so he's talking about faith. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But, but you must really believe you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Like, you need to really believe this, right? I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that, that, if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. These words of Jesus are kind of crazy. He's talking about mountains being cast into the sea. Like, it just doesn't even make any sense, really, to some extent. But what Jesus here is addressing is the, the, the tension between the law of the, the law of nature, which we understand the law of nature, is the law of nature, right? And the laws of faith. Nothing really overrides the laws of nature except the law of faith. That's why the Bible is full of stories. Like Lazarus, who died and was in the grave for three days. He's, his body's decaying. In fact, the people around say, Jesus, really? He stinks right now. Why do you want to bring him back to life? And yet Lazarus comes back to life. The law of faith defined the law of nature. 5,000 hungry people, really more like 15,000 hungry people, get fed by a little boy's sack lunch. Blind people seeing, see? There's a verse that's very revealing about faith. It says this in Matthew 9. It says, Jesus said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Jesus saying, you get to choose how much God will do for you. Now, don't get me wrong. God is not my servant, Okay, can I say that loudly so you can hear what I'm saying? God is not my servant, and he's not a slot machine. It's not like, a, you know, I have this idea. Too many people distort this, this idea of faith by thinking that somehow or another I could just throw in whatever whim I have, whatever thing I want into God, and, and God's just going to give me whatever I want. That's not it. Because remember, faith actually is seeing the way God sees. So real, what it, what really what Jesus here is talking about is God's going to deposit in you a dream. He's going to deposit in you a, a, a purpose in your life, a destiny, a di direction. You're going to feel that. You're going to know that. You're going to look ahead and you realize, God, this is impossible. I can't, I can't change that much in my life. I can't be that kind of husband that you're calling me to be. I can't be that kind of wife that you're calling me to be. I can't give that much money away. Faith gives you the ability to do it. You take his plan. Remember, his plan sometimes is dangerous for your life. Another thing about faith is faith turns God-given dreams into reality. Nothing happens until someone starts dreaming. Nothing happens until someone starts dreaming. I remember, I just uh, recently I was just I, I you know came across this um, document that we wrote like 18 years ago um, about planting Life Church. We didn't call it Life Church then; it was another name. And um, 
And, and I remember looking through it, and I just could not believe all the fantastical, crazy ideas that we had. We wrote all of this stuff before we actually even had a church. Like, there was no congregation, there was no worship team, there was nothing. And yet, we were saying all these crazy things that we were going to see accomplished. And I, I read through it, and I thought, man, this, this was audacious to even think this way. And yet... Here we are today. See, dreams, sometimes God gives you dreams and, and you convince yourself this is impossible. And we discard God's dream for our lives. But sometimes that's what he wants. He wants you to go after that God-given dream. I like how Paul talks about this in Ephesians 3. He says, glory be to God who, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do. So he's encouraging the Ephesians. Look, look, God is great. For God, there's nothing that's impossible, right? God is great. Glory be to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream. So he's talking about dreams here. Like you don't have a dream that's too big for God. You don't. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. I love this. Lastly, faith gives me power to persevere in tough times. Sometimes faith doesn't always look like, you know, just charging. Sometimes faith is just persevering. I know that's been true for me, you know. It's not always taking me out of the storm. Sometimes he's just giving me the ability to have peace in the storm. And that's faith. Faith. I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to kind of try to cut this short since my time is running out. But there's a, you, you, you guys came here second service, so you kind of ruined the, the illustration for me a little bit because you're, a lot of people are here. But if you look around, um, if you look around a little bit, you'll see a few empty chairs around where you're sitting. And, um, I want you to think of those chairs a little bit differently than what we normally think. I remember when we first started Life Church, there was a, you know, we'd get together and, and we, by faith, put out like 75 chairs. 75 chairs in this Corville Rec Center. And then we'd have service and there would be like 25 people. <laughs> and... Um, and, you know, I had a great team around me, but, you know, I know there was a little bit of, like, question, like, yeah, Rich, are we, are we really doing anything for God, you know? Is this really going to work? Is it ever going to take off? You know, the normal questions. But I, I clearly remember during those seasons that I would, yes, I would see just 25 folks maybe sitting out in the auditorium. And, uh, but I'd start speaking, and it's like something inside of me would just tell me, yeah, but what I don't, I see 25, but there's like 50 empty seats out there. What I see, though, is thousands of lives being changed. What I see is thousands of marriages being restored and healed. What I see is wayward children coming back to Christ and, and, and families being reunited again. That's what I would see. And that, you know, it wasn't me. I'll be honest, I'm just telling you. It's not... There is nothing different between me and you. It's just a matter of sight. It's a matter of vision. What are you seeing? Are you seeing through eyes of fear? 
Are you seeing through eyes of faith? And so I want to turn this table around. And as you see these empty chairs, here's what I see in those empty chairs. I see a name. I see a John. I see a Debbie. I see a Sue. That's not here right now. They're not here because they're maybe getting over a hangover and they're just sleeping in this morning. They're not here because they're just really grieving the fact that they've just been handed divorce papers and they're not sure how they're going to even survive. They don't even know what to tell the kids. I want to see them here. That, their name is on those chairs. <clears throat> and God is calling us to do that. God is calling us to reach them. And so <clears throat> we're going to get into this series of faith and we're going to talk about some pretty risky, crazy things. And I want to challenge you. Starts today with just a posture of surrender. Cedar Rapids, you're watching right now. It's the same for you. God wants to fill those seats. And right now, what God is calling us to start, this journey of faith, this dangerous plan for God's life is for us to Sometimes I find myself when I'm in places where I just don't have answers. I don't know. I don't know what's next. I'm just not exactly sure. I'm trying to have faith. I'm trying to conjure up faith, but it's just, I'm not sure. Is that I just do this. I just put my hands out like this. And this is simply me saying to God, God, I don't know. I need you. I don't know, but I need you. I surrender my life completely to you right now. And so in this room, there are some of you you've never given your life to Jesus Christ you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ there's some of you who have been walking with Jesus for a while but you've decided you figured it out you know how to do this Christian thing you're just doing your own thing and God's over here saying hey I want you over here you're over there but I want you over here it's a matter of doing the same thing putting your hands out say God I surrender I surrender I take your plan from my life and yes God it's risky and I'm scared to go down that path but God I know you're with me and if you're with me we're the majority amen amen let me pray for you our prayer teams are here we're going to have a song of worship um, I'm going to pray for you and let's, right now let's just let's make this room an atmosphere of surrender God we surrender completely over to you amen Father we just want to thank you God in this place Holy Spirit, we know that you're moving right now between these rows and these seats in our hearts and in our minds. You're convincing us that the life that we're living right now is just an ordinary life, but what we need, Lord, is an extraordinary life with you. That you're calling us, Father, out. Lord, you're calling us out of our sin, Father. For those of us that might be familiar with sin, we're just comfortable with the sin around us, Lord God. You're calling us out of that. For those of us, Father, who are com comfortable with just the, the kind of life that we've established for ourselves, the home that we live in and the, the career that we have, and yet, God, you're, you're tapping us and you're saying, I want you, Rich, I want you to go further than what you've gone. Lord, we surrender. We surrender, we surrender, we surrender, God. Will you take our lives, use them for your glory and your key. Father, we pray for those in Cedar Rapids right now, Lord God, that they too, Father, as they are praying with us right now, Holy Spirit, we surrender, we surrender, we surrender. Take our lives, we pray in Jesus' name.